face the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcome to Starfleet Boy, where we have a casual and informal discussion about our beloved series, Star Trek. You are listening to a previously recorded conversation. Anyways, we're uh, we're back on another exciting episode of Starfleet Boy, in which we have a casual and informal conversation about Star Trek. We're currently focused on Star Trek: The Next Generation, and today's episode is Tin Man. Yes. Tin Man. I'm joined it's by a my. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> Let me just get out, out of the way. It's a get ten. It, it's a ten. This is a ten episode. There's a few of them that we're going to encounter along the way. Uh, <laughs> we don't have a database person like uh, Drunk Space Nine does to keep track of these things. But I was thinking of uh, going back and reviewing our ratings and uh, and, ta- and you know just keeping score somewhere. What do you think, Doctor? That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I I, uh, I concur. All right, I'll I'll get. Maybe I'll hire a a Starfleet intern. Starfleet, there we go. <laughs> Starfleet boy intern to Starfleet, boy intern. <laughs> Starf- Starfleet lad. Star- ooh, or or lassie. I mean, or lassie. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't have to be a lad. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, let's uh, get right to it. Um, we both uh, just watched the episode, so it's fresh in our minds. So I think this time I am going to have you give the summary, Doctor. So uh, make it <laughs> I make thought it, it so. was fresh in your mind. Make it so, Doctor. I'll assist you as you go. <laughs> the uh, Enterprise is... Um I don't know. They're they're doing something rather routine and uh, nor- and av- something. I think Picard says it's it's kind of tedious, <laughs> which I thought was funny to include in the uh, in, <laughs> in, in the log. And uh, suddenly they get a transmission from the hood, the USS Hood, which uh, we last saw, I, know. I believe, in Encounter at Farpoint. No, and didn't wasn't it just in another episode recently as well? Uh, oh. It was the one that, uh, in the sins of the father, I think they're dropping off. Uh, oh, really? It was the hood. Okay, maybe I don't remember, but I just feel like the hood seems like it's uh, it's ferrying a lot of people across. Uh, <laughs> which, which the captain kind of indicates. Uh, right. But of course, the hood captain previously, DeSoto. Captain DeSoto, who uh, served with Picard at some earlier point, and R- Riker was aboard the the hood. As a first officer, and um, well, anyways, uh, the hood shows up, and uh, it's carrying the infamous uh, Tam Elbron, and with him, uh, he has orders, uh, special orders, to go to. It's, uh, I guess, I interpret it as I think they indicate it's the furthest 
they have there has been any exploration. Don't they have a line like that? Something it's the like furthest that. that the, it's the furthest our Federation probes. Oh have, yes, yes, that's right. That's right. Have gone, and of course the Romulans happen to be uh, happen to claim that territory, and uh, and they've discovered this uh, this in- incredible uh, discovery uh, in orbit around a, a dying star, which is uh, it seems to be a sentient. A spaceship of, of some kind and it's it's an extraordinary discovery and uh, there is the episode is basically a race to make first contact with this new life form and the Enterprise is of course the fastest and the best qualified ship to do so. According to Captain DeSoto and that According to Captain DeSoto and so of course the Enterprise is dispatched right away and uh, um, I love the line where Captain Picard is like well why didn't they just communicate that to us through subspace, and it says no. This is so important. It had to be basically hand, you know, almost hand delivered. This message, and you know, it has to be because right. they don't want the Romulans to know the good old Romulans uh, that uh, that uh, fizzle out later on. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so the Enterprise is on its way now. They think they have a lead, but apparently they don't. This one Romulan commander has pushed the thresholds of the engines of the Romulan warbird. I forget what class it is. Basically to the breaking point so that it's a one-way mission just to get to this uh, this sentient ship, which is being referred to as Tin Man, uh, to get there first and make first contact. Now, the Romulans are interested in making first contact, but if first contact is not made then they're just going to basically dissect the thing mm-hmm. and of course the federation is is, is a little you know it's, it's not as adversarial so uh they're genuinely interested in making first contact and and peaceful negotiate uh, peaceful contact with it uh and basically both ships pretty much get there uh around the same time and the romulans manage to damage the enterprise just shy of reaching tin man and uh, this prompts um, uh, the telepath, and his name is Tan... What is it, Tan Elbrum? Tan Elbrum. Tan Elbrum, whom is a bit of a... How do we describe him? He's kind of a cagey character. He's uh, He is a... Uh, he's a he's a Benazoid who was born right away with the ability to read minds. Apparently, this is very interesting... Betazoids aren't born have the ability, but they're not born, born with it. Yeah, <laughs> with with knowing how to, they have to be trained to do this. Correct. It's just something that develops uh, later on. So it it, it it it's because I guess um, somehow you know if I if I'm gonna use some kind of like head head science here uh-huh. <laughs> head Go biology ahead. I would imagine that uh, Betazoids uh, Betazads Betazans evolved so that when they're developing uh, their telepathic abilities uh, come in later, maybe even uh, at the onset of puberty because right, they, uh-huh. because there's something to be said about having an ability from birth versus having it later. So I would I would I would liken it to just like human development how uh, maybe um, 
you know, like we we come into maturity uh, at around the age of 13, 14, 15, start maturing and, and fully mature into our 20s. So I imagine it's very similar for Betazoids. And there must be some evolutionary reason. And maybe TAM is an example of why uh, why that is, because it, it could be too much for the mind of a child to to handle. And that's absolutely the impression we get. I mean, they describe him as like a prodigy mm-hmm. uh, with respect to his telepathy. And, and Crush, um, not Crush, uh, Troy, it's revealed, was actually his psychologist uh, back on, on Benazoid. When she was a student. When she was a student. Uh, so I'm imagining she was like, she was like a top of her class. If she was a uh, patient, right. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, think about it. I mean, you know, if she's getting, if he is her patient as a student, then obviously Troy is one of the top students at this whatever academy, um, and so there's a previous relationship there, and um, uh, Tam is 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 it Tam or Tan? Tam T A M T A M. Okay, Tam is seems to have great difficulty just being around uh, everybody aboard the ship, with the exception of Data, because he can't. Obviously, being an android, uh, he doesn't read his positronic brain uh, as easily, or at all, actually, like he does a humanoid brain. Mm-hmm. So he, he he develops an affinity for data. Of course, he has a, a previous um, uh, uh, close relationship with Troy, and uh, there are his two anchors aboard the Enterprise, but he seems very frazzled, very uh, put upon by just about everybody else. And of course, uh, it's revealed that Tin Man has actually been reaching out to him, uh, kind of an echo of Star Trek One, where it felt it it seems like Spock was contacted by V'ger. Here Uh, we have connection. uh, There, go on. Here we have sort of a a, a similar (laughs) scenario where uh, Tam is drawn to Tin Man, and in fact, Tam is able to warn. Uh, uh, the Tin Man um, of the Romulan attack and Tin Man responds by destroying the Romulans and uh, crippling the Enterprise unintentionally uh, but yes unintentionally in the wake of this of this attack and and what proceeds is basically uh, there's a second Romulan ship that is um, that is heading their way and the Enterprise is trying to is trying to rep- uh, trying to achieve repairs in order to get to Tin Man, beat the second Romulan ship. And there's this tension throughout the episode of, you know, we've got to get to Tin Man first. So it's 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 really exciting. And finally what happens is um, Picard uh, makes a, a, a very tough call and he, decide, he allows Tam to beam aboard Tin Man with Data in order to make the first contact before the Romulans, and Tam and the uh, uh, what's his the na- Gumtu? It turns oh, out that his, the, yeah, Gumtu is his uh, his nick his actual name or his actual name. Yeah. Uh, and and translated he naturally, but <laughs> right, translated for our purposes. And 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 Tam just achieves sort of a, a, a symbiosis with this this being, and which, uh, which apparently. Uh, the Tin Man uh, either was bred or evolved into a living vessel, which was uh, which which is 
which feels that its purpose is to care for and protect its crew. And it had a crew at and one point, crew, yeah. but the crew was 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 just was killed in an accident. Uh, we learned that uh, Gamtu possibly is the last of its kind. It hasn't encountered any other of its race in over a millennia, so it's a really sad story. So it's actually there at the start to die. It's like it's tired of life. I can't find anybody else of my species. What is my purpose? I I'm just gonna go, and 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 this is communicated to to Picard, and and it, it moves him. It moves him. It's a tough it's a tough call, and but he sends Tam over, and immediately he achieves a sense of serenity and peace with the the being, and um, they hit it off and. All of a sudden, you know, another uh, res- animated response from from Gamtu. The Enterprise is swung along with the Romulan, attackers. along with the Romulans, and it's 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 a la Q. I mean, it's on that level. It's just kind of like, I mean, I, I love the part where Riker actually spins. Oh, they all do. Slowly. Actually, that's really good. Yeah, yeah, but he, he put he put a lot of effort into his. <laughs> it was like three point eight billion kilometers away from the the sun. <laughs> And everyone spins back into their chairs, which is it's just so cheesy and so funny. That was great. But I, I loved, loved it. it. I Are loved you it. The physics. They, I loved they thought it. About the I physics, loved it. Which was I'm great. not complaining, yeah. uh, but it was it was a cheesy moment. And uh, the sun. I mean, the star goes uh, supernova. It explodes, and there's a for a brief moment. And I thought it was one of the best. I mean, this episode was extraordinary from beginning to end. But one of my favorite moments is when they think Data's gone. And Picard, did you see that? Picard is like, Data. And then as soon as he says that, Data's right behind, he he appears behind them. Do you remember that they kind of echoed that in uh, Nemesis, except this time? Yes. It was Picard. It It was Picard standing in the doorway. Uh, yes. I mean the, yeah. Oh. Yes. You just got me a little of a clump, Doctor. Go on. <laughs> was it, it, that was an extraordinary moment. Yeah. I mean, even the way it was shot, Picard, Riker here, Troy there, everybody standing, everybody just staring at this explosion. It was an extraordinary moment. And then Data's there, and and he and Picard, and he almost loses composure, and he's like. What happened? <laughs> and and data. I think his line is like, uh, "It's difficult to explain." And uh, and of course, you know, you know, Tam and and this and uh, Kamdu just go off on their own. Uh, they're they're now together, uh, exploring the universe. And there's a wonderful coda to the episode where Troy and Data have a moment, and Data feels that he needs to. To communicate to her how important it was for Tam to understand, for Tam to have Troy understand why he left and why he did what he did, and 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 Data reveals that in that moment when uh, when he saw Tam achieve that 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 serenity and come to a place where he finally feels like this is where I, where I belong, Data apparently had some sort of epiphany about where he belongs and he says I belong here on the Enterprise mm-hmm. and it's it's a it's a lovely moment where where Troy just kind of 
embraces data know, from behind. I know, that was very nice. Yeah, it was very, yeah. Good. Yeah, and, and <laughs> extraordinary episode. My God. Fantastic wow. summary. You were uh, you were really into it. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I had <laughs> I had this episode by itself on VHS on a VHS tape because you know VHS tapes were weren't to to break at times, right? Mm-hmm. So what what happened is that sometimes I would be able to salvage. You know, I would lose part of the tape, but I would have like maybe an hour. Mm-hmm. So I would have like a one hour tape. And this was one of those one-hour tapes <laughs> because I so loved this episode. The, this episode is probably one of those episodes I can only imagine uh, where the team, uh, the production team and the writers and the, the showrunner were just like, I hope people really love it because it is so, it's such a good story. It felt so... You know, even though it had echoes of other things, it felt so original and it was just performed beautifully. I I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And as I remember uh, being very moved by it the first time I ever saw it. And then I had another uh, experience when I rewatched it very recently. Um, I just as as uh, followers of the Starfleet boy know, I I, uh, I am the guardian of a cat named Arthur (laughs) and this is the first episode um, after he'd been with me for about a week or whatever he hadn't yet come into my bed to hang out or anything like that he just kind of hung out in his own space and was very uh, you know cautious about me of course just getting to know me so I put on Star Trek The Next Generation and this episode was the one that was on my queue and uh, the cat Arthur came over sat right next to me and watched the whole episode (laughs) like with me and i'm like i kept like trying not to move so as not to like you know frighten him away but it was just like a really touching kind of uh kind of experience and i I have to you're his tin man (laughs) we found each other no i mean you can obviously imagine how uh the themes in this episode were echoing personally, and I think uh, the floodgates opened, Doctor, and I, I got really emotional, and my cat just stared at me as I teared aye, up. Aye, aye. <laughs> so there's a little bit of your captain's personal log. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that was a really cool moment. I'm looking over at him as he sleeps. He's sleeping right now. He's taking a cat nap, which cats are prone to do. Uh <laughs> <laughs> But um, uh, I guess, yeah, let's just uh, let's get right to it. Uh, what do you think? What did you think of Tam Elbrum, the character, um, that, played by Harry Groner, uh, by the way? Yeah, he's been on, apparently he was on a couple other Star Trek series af- afterwards. Oh, I didn't realize that. He was on Voyager, and he was on Enterprise. Oh, very nice. Uh, is he a genius or is he crazy or is he both? I thought his performance was absolutely captivating. And, um, I mean, this is a guy that pushes Picard <laughs> away, like, one moment on the bridge. And you're like, holy shit, did he just do that? He just pushed Picard. And, but, you, you know, you, this actor just communicated so well. Uh, the tortured aspect of that character uh, of, of of Tam, just the the, the 
you know, it's interesting. This episode works on, on a lot of levels, and it's got two very uh, potent storylines. Because, of course, you've got this, the, 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 the story of, of getting to Tin Man, but you've also got the story of this guy who, you know, very quickly the episode manages to to convey his his rather tragic story, I would say. Uh, I mean, he's obviously a very gifted um, member of, of the Federation. I mean, he's like the, the go-to guy for very unusual first contacts. Well, he's, he's, um, re- he's referred to as the finest specialist in uh, unknown life forms. And uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, he's, he, he's, he's the guy. And, and yet there's, there's a huge price that he pays for this uh, because of this, this, this gifted telepathy that he has. And it's conveyed expertly through the dialogue. It's also conveyed so well through the acting, especially in the part of 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 Sirtis as Troy. She uh, she really brings her A game to this to this episode with how she feels. I mean, the way she conveys compassion for this guy, mm-hmm. and I love the, the 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 dialogue they have uh, together. You know, he calls her D. Um, oh right, that's right. There's there's an almost instant. You just instantly pick up on, on the great uh, affection that they both have for each other, and and you know, I mean, this this is only it's a, it's like a forty five minute episode. Yet you feel like you you live you've, you know, yeah, you've, you've known yeah. this whole situation for so it's long. A very, it's amazing. It's a very uh, dense episode. Absolutely. Like there's oh, so yeah. much uh, exposition and, and exciting, uh, little bits of dialogue. And, and again, this is like one of the benefits of following a series and knowing characters is that you can, you can kind of now at this point, if you've been following the series, make a lot of assumptions and, and like you have a, a really great idea of the landscape and the world. I mean, like, you know, popping into this, this is one of those, you know, I, I wonder if there's something to that. Like it's every now and then you get one of those episodes, like, like we talked about, which are just like kind of payoff episodes. It's like, you really have to have been watching the series and like understand and know Star Trek, um, to get the, even though on a general level, this episode just works. Like it's a great story. There's a lot of details and nuances. It's, it's just like replete with them that I think are delightful for fans of the show and fans of Star Trek in general. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is another one like of those that, episodes. Like that detail you just pointed out, yeah. Right. And this is an episode where, and I can't remember what was the last time we, we made this comment, but it was, it's an episode where you get to see the entire ship involved in this uh, in this pursuit. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, Troy has a major part. Riker has his, his bit to do. He's got some great bits. He has, he harbors this incredible dislike um, dislike resentment uh towards him because he he actually lost because that's the thing that's the other part about tam uh, the other uh tragic the bit about his story disaster right where uh, apparently he uh it was a first contact situation that went wrong that went wrong yeah and lives were lost and two of them were were, were academy people that Riker went to the academy with and and you you can and you get the sense that you know he really, you know I mean well that's the other thing Tam just reads your mind. There's right. no he just, 
Right. He well, he's and he's like. I mean, we've seen uh, we've seen um, Loxana do this, but he does it in an even more brazen kind of way, where he'll just like not even let you talk. <laughs> right, because right. I mean, it, yeah. Loxana does it like I just to be. To you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is casual and informal. I know, I know. Uh, she does it to be playful, but he do, he can't help himself. Do you think he's showing off at all, or do you think is is it really that he can't help himself? Like, is he just I, frustrated, or what? What do you think it is? I interpret it as a he can't help himself. It's almost like uh, you know. An Asperger's kind of thing. It's just, it it just kicks in. It's interesting. I mean, imagine. You, it's interesting that you touched on that um, because I thought about uh, at least you know uh, Asperger's or perhaps even just an, anything on the spectrum you know of autism, perhaps because uh, we do like an extraordinary ability. When we see cases of extraordinary, like gifted, like you know, uh, beyond comprehension ability in humans, there usually is a drawback that uh, that follows it. You know, like, for example, um, we have some people like in the in the film Rain Man, he's he's got this extraordinary ability with numbers, yet he can't do things that you and I take for granted. Um, and so there there wasn't quite that degree of it but tam also has some uh disadvantages as as a result of his ability he comes he becomes isolated and and is often uh misunderstood because of things like not letting people have their thoughts or finishing you know their sentences for them or even coming across as abrasive and and things like that and so i feel like we see hints of why tam has been kind of isolated from the rest of his society and and in general society in general uh here which is which is maybe related to his extraordinary uh abilities what do you think yeah i mean um i actually i'm I'm thinking right now of of a former student uh at the school who who was a very very smart kid very very smart but he had he, he you know he he was socially off and when he was on his meds, you could tell there, there was a change. And and it was very sad to see because I remember, you know, he would have, you know, he, he <laughs> I remember one, he, he would just do extreme things. Like I remember he, uh, he shaved his head and, um, and he came up to me one day and he, he, he was checking out Mein Kampf. Oh, and man. and and he put the, he put it on the on the counter, and, and this is the way he would talk. He was like, "Yeah, I know what you're thinking." He shaved his head. He's checking out Mein Kampf. Yeah, he's a neo-Nazi now. Like he's just communicating that out with no filters, and and you know that's how he was. He had no filters, and when I look at somebody like like Tam the, the character Tam, he has no filters. Brilliant. But that's the thing is that they have no filters, and you know they are aware of it because I remember this kid. At some point, he had a he had a uh, he had, he had a horrible issue with his father, unfortunately, and 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 he made a comment once that you know he is aware of when he crosses the line socially, but he is unable to stop himself when he doesn't have the meds, and he's aware of it, but it's it he. This 
they just can't. They don't know. They can't. And Tam, that's what I got from his performance is that, you know, his impatience with Picard, his impatience, his testiness with Riker. I, I think it's just, you know, but he as does they indicated. Well, but he does well with Tiana and he does extremely well with Data. So I do think that that's the case also with, you know, folks who, Absolutely. who are on the spectrum uh, in some way. Because I've had, I, I've got a few friends, uh, some really close friends who uh, have some form of Asperger's or autism or even uh, different conditions altogether, like bipolar disorder. And, um, and I've seen them suffer through it. In in, the, mm-hmm. in similar ways as you can describe, where uh, you know they they can't the filter isn't there or whatever you know whatever the the case may be. Yet um, I'm fortunate to have still have a functional relationship and an understanding. And I and I think it you know maybe this is a little too naive here, but I think it all just comes down to patience and kindness. And not everyone has the time. Or the or the demeanor to have that kind of personality, uh, so I think that's where a lot of the conflict comes in with folks that are different. And uh, to harken back to a, a portion of this episode where Data, see, uh, you know, seems genuinely perturbed or depressed that Tam can't read his thoughts um, to the point where he even wonders. Do I am I anything more than just a collection of you know circuits and and neuro pathways? And Tab says, just because I can't read your mind doesn't mean that you're not there. It just means you're different, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, just like Tam, I think it's a it's a great thing because had Deanna seen that interaction, I think she would have been very proud of Tam because that's probably what she taught him. Uh, through their interactions, and here he is now, you know, kind of showing that he that he got the lesson uh, there. So I thought that was another kind of nice moment in this episode, uh, and also tying into what we were just talking about. Um, differences don't. Differences are just that. Uh, they're just nuances in, in, in we all have differences and normal is relative. So that's something that I'm so proud to have learned because of shows like Star Trek. And I feel like you do need to be reminded of it because it's so easy to just, you know, feel comfortable in the sameness because there is so much sameness. You know? right. um, uh, it's something you do have to be reminded of. But when I am reminded of it, it does fill my heart with a kind of joy to know that I'm not alone, I, you know, I'm, and I'm not the same as you, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so our differences, I think, can unite us. It's just a matter of how we perceive them. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, so much of, <laughs> yeah, no, very, no, no, no. I mean, I think that's what I mean. This episode has so many layers and I, everything that you said is, is absolutely you know, it's some. It's one of the things that flows out of this episode. There's so many layers to this episode. Um, you know, Troy, as you were mentioning, Troy. You know, Tr- Troy is really. You really see that Troy saved this guy's life. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the aftermath of it here, and like you said, what what you can see that whatever. Uh, you know that moment he had with Data is absolutely something that she would have been proud of, and and you can understand that that Troy really saved this guy's life. Troy is a hidden hero 
in this episode. You right. don't you, you you see it through how this guy acts and and all this stuff and and in the the conversations that they have and it it's it's a it, it's an amazing layer to this episode and another thing is you know data's little arc in this show is like this hidden b plot a gem, that's, yeah, a little. <laughs> that's just dug in there, but it's there. Right. And like you said, that scene where he has that moment of like, well, maybe I'm just neural pathways connected to whatever circuits, and and you know, I mean, to to have something like that in this episode, you know, where it could have just been a very straightforward action oriented kind of thing, but to have that peppered in there, it, it's just, it, I mean. It, it's an extraordinary balance uh, that that the show features with all the characters. Uh, you know, Picard uh, has has some great moments as well, uh, especially the moment where where he has Troy and, and Data in his ready room. And you know, this guy he's so sharp. You know, he has them in there because he you know he has he says you know Mr. Data I've, I've I've noticed you're, you've developed an affinity with him. Like, I mean, Picard sees all this, man. He he's sharp. He of he knows well, who to call in. He's and the Picard. I mean, like, he's the Picard. Know, like, he's, I mean, and, and and you're and seeing he, it there. We, we get the full Picard. We've been getting more and more of the full Picard. Uh, going going back to that scene with um, uh, with Counselor Troy and Tam, you referenced real quick uh, uh, of their conversation and kind of like where we. It's kind of for us where we're catching up with um, their story a little bit, and um, and you know we get a little bit of uh, knowledge as to what happened at the Garushtan uh, disaster. And I was wondering what you thought about that because he says that he got too caught up in or involved in the other side's perspective, and that maybe he didn't warn the the commander soon enough and their personalities seem to conflict a little bit too it seems like you know tam was again best intentions but not communicating or or getting along for whatever reason and i kind of thought that was interestingly um uh conveyed because that's exactly the relationship i believe Riker and tam had in this episode you know it's like uh Riker's just immediately put off by tam uh, and you can see how anyone could be. I mean, like he's kind of, again abrasive and and just like you know dismissive of of you. <laughs> and even in that scene in the ready room, he just like where he's defending uh, himself. You remember the scene where he's like, mm-hmm. you yeah. Know, and Riker and, thinks it, and then he and reacts. He's like he reacting to and Riker's, Riker's like, thoughts. nah. You and he's like. Look, buddy. I think does he call him Buddy Boy or something, something like that? Like or? that. Yeah, like cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's a confrontation that was so. In fa- it was really intense. But like, what yeah. was great about it is that they they the writers uh, showcased uh, Tam's ability there. He, Riker couldn't get a word in, and the argument all happened in a way that we understood exactly what was. It was just uh, such a good such a good writing. But I imagine. In a tense situation in the Garushtan disaster, uh, similar a similar vibe or a similar type of thing happening, and then later on, um, Picard even admits he's like, "I have no confidence 
in you. I, yeah. As much as he's moved in that scene in Sickbay by uh, uh, Tin Man's uh, loneliness, and, and you could see, by the way, uh, Patrick Stewart, oh. like, just, like, cha- he, he changes, like, from Captain Picard to Jean-Luc, the explorer, the, the, the you know, the, the academic, the, the <laughs> like, yeah. you know, the, just, like, you know what they're out there for the, to to find strange new worlds and 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 new life and new civilizations <laughs> you know it's like oh. it's all there and um but yet he has a responsibility to his ship and his crew and and he says like how can i trust you did you give one single thought when you warned warned a uh, tin man did you give one single thought to the enterprise and and uh you know uh, Counselor Troy is about to say something or object, and because she thinks maybe Captain Picard's gone a little too far, but um, Tam, no, he's like, no, you're, he's right. <laughs> but yeah. it, but we're your own, but this is your only chance now because obviously the the danger was there that the ship is not up to its full operations at the moment, and the Romulans are getting heated and stuff like that. So really, just again. How do you fit all that in like two minutes? Like that scene was <laughs> was only like two minutes, amazing. and yet, yeah. yet there's so much information and it was so be- be- beautiful, like beautifully directed, beautifully written. Uh, I guess we should take a quick moment to acknowledge the writers of this episode, um, and I I'm gonna go to the internet for that. And so it's uh, the credit goes to two writers. It's Dennis Russell. Although it's Bailey. three writers. What's that? It's three writers, in fact, but they they could only give the credit to two because at the time, oh. the Writers Guild only allowed for two. But Was in that fact, right? there's a mm-hmm, yeah. If you go to Memory Alpha, I think you'll see it. Okay, and, well, so I don't know who the third one is, but I know it's uh, Dennis Russell Bailey and uh, David Bischoff, and the story is actually based on his book, uh, which was written in '76, somewhere between. 76 and 79 called Tin Woodman. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the information that I have. But yeah, I didn't know about I the, would uh, um, I if if you if you could, I would uh, recommend you share the image of the cover. I think the the image of the cover is very interesting. Of Tin, of Tin Woodman? Woodman. Yeah, if you google it. Um, I'll I'll say briefly as you're doing that David uh, Bischoff is is an actor. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Uh, he's a, a, a writer that uh, I'm very familiar with because he's written uh, tie-in novels for a lot of things that I've read, including Alien vs. Predator. Uh, oh. I have, I still have a few of his books, and I think they're excellent. Uh, he's written... He even wrote a Sequest novel. <laughs> Remember Sequest? Yeah. Yeah, he really? wrote some novels for Space Precinct. The Jerry Anderson show. Uh, so he, he's he's one of those writers that that you I've seen my all my life, and I've never read any of his original works. Unfortunately, uh, I'm sure this kill this this must kill writers when they hear that. But uh, uh, he's he's written for the Next Generation. He wrote a Next Generation novel as well, um, which I have somewhere. I can't remember which one it is. Let's see if uh, I can share this thing here for you. And whoops, what did I just do? Oh wow, you found a really funky one. That's not the one that I was looking. I was looking at. Wow, where did you find that? Uh, he said to do a Google search. 
<laughs> that is not That's the what one I came that up I... with. Um, really? Here's, here's some other ones. Let's see. There's this one. That one. that one. That's the one. I love that one. All right, let's look at that one a little Look at better. the layout of that one. Yeah, that one's cool. I love that one. It it's, has... interesting to, it's interesting that this novel was the genesis for this TV show, you know, some, you know, close to 20 years later, you know. Not, not that much later. 15 years later. 10, 15 years later. But I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so those are some really trippy covers there. I thought that um, one was, that particular one that I picked was uh, trippy because it reminded me a little bit of the Borg. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I I was surprised. I didn't see that one when I looked. I, I was. That's a really good one. Do you remember? Very trippy. Do you remember? Uh, I just had a thing. Speaking of trippy, there's this reference to how uh, after the Garushta. I hope I'm saying that right. The Garushta disaster. Uh, the <laughs> these like names sometimes you know I know I can't remember them all I'm so sorry what audience I wish I had a minutia for these things but um uh after the disaster no one had heard from Tam because he retreated to uh, Chandra Five and I wonder if that's a reference to Doctor Chandra from 2001 or not um, oh behave <laughs> but, oh wow <laughs> but uh, good one good he said one the the Chandrans were um were like this amazing I, I just wish we could have seen them uh, or 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 there's there might be some illustrations out there or something like that because uh, they said that their minds were like crystal clear like glacial and it took three days for them just to say hello you know they had a ritual <laughs> for, for a three day hello can you imagine that um, and know, that's kind right? of where he'd been finding his peace until this this um, uh, this creature uh, this life form reached out to him across the distances of uh, of uh, of space, and I have to say that another credit to the writers is that, like you know, uh, Tin Man is consistently extraordinary. Uh, first of all, Tin Man's reaching out to this one mind, the singular mind, and I don't know what his range is, but in all of the galaxy, right? He's then able to catapult the Enterprise 3.8 billion kilometers away, safely away from the supernova so they can kind of observe it in that nice little super distant supernova effect. Um, but then he beams, I'm imagining he beams data from the same distance. Like he just transports him like it's nothing. Uh, Extraordinary. And it yeah. begs the question, what were the people like what were the the what was the race that that you know that uh that inhabited this vessel and and shared a symbiotic relationship with the with it um i wonder if there's any kind of like, i <laughs> i had the same Sorry. thought of a dying tardis <laughs> i did indeed i did indeed have the same thought about about a dying tardis um I think that's an extraordinary idea too, by the way. Like as far in the future and as extraordinary as Star Trek the Next Generation is that we keep seeing references to even greater feats of the past, like e- eons before uh humanity even existed and and it's uh it comes up again and again. It's not just a and, and there, you know, there's legend of this kind of thing in, in in human uh mythology as well. You know, some speculate that the beings that we think of as the gods, uh, you know, Greek and Roman and, and so on and Egyptian and whatnot. Um, and perhaps the Christian God 
uh, itself uh, might be uh, inspired by a greater entity that once, uh, you know, interacted with humanity in some way. So, or that we have knowledge of that's, that's lost. <laughs> I have to put my hair up like the guy from ancient astronauts. Uh, <laughs> and then we can kind of talk more about that. Chariot but, of the gods. Yeah, exactly. Anyways. Yeah. So what did you, what did you think of, uh, kind of that, that whole, uh, thing that they touch on, that that theme if you if you or if you, do you even see it at all yeah uh, well you know i mean being a doctor who fan yeah i i see tin man as as a as a variation on on a tardis of tardis like uh, vehicle of some kind, creature of some kind. For, the, uh, for those who don't know, the ship that the Doctor, that Time Lords, the ships that Time Lords uh, travel through are part biological in some way. They're they're actually mm-hmm. considered life forms, right? Yes, and and in fact, uh, there is there there are stories that touch upon the symbiotic nature of uh, the Time Lord who is piloting the TARDIS mm, and, mm-hmm. and, and the, the, the TARDIS, which you have one actually right there, right next to you, the TARDIS <laughs> right up there, I see. Um, if you sh- there we go. <laughs> That's exactly how it travels, by the way. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I love the props. <laughs> For once, I have uh, a prop. <laughs> exactly. That's great. Um, and and actually, there's an excellent story. Um, oddly enough, I can only remember a graphic novel. Uh, there's an excellent. Well, actually, it was in the Doctor Who magazine where you actually see uh, what happens when what happens to a TARDIS when its Time Lord uh, pilot dies. Aww. And and it's a Sixth Doctor uh, strip. It's called the World Shapers and. Uh, and it was, it was actually the first Doctor Who magazine I ever bought, and I was just absolutely—I was dumbstruck. I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, this is what happens to the Tardises when they're, you know. Uh, and and I was very moved by this—the story of of uh, of Gamtu, uh, the Tin Man, and you know the idea of uh, of of this this being just you know going through through the galaxy by itself it's kind of like the last unicorn you remember that movie you know oh gosh uh, i have a vague uh, whoa the last unicorn hadn't seen one of of her kind for you know i think something like a millennia as well and when was suddenly struck one day by the thought that oh what if uh Ooh. what if what if um oh what if uh, I'm the last of my kind? Uh, what if there are no more unicorns? Uh, so, so I, I think that that's a very uh, potent. It's a, it's it's a very dramatic uh, story, and and th- this episode really conveys it very well. And 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 you feel for this. Uh, it's extraordinary. You know, you gone through. You know, you don't have some disembodied voice. You never hear it you never except that sound. <laughs> that's it right but you never have like this moment where you think oh you know like as the audience you only experience it really through tam and yet you develop such a 
uh, a compassion for it. I mean, I, I felt more for Gamtu than I did for the space amoeba way back in Encountered Farpoint. You know, well, it's a beautiful um, design. I mean, there's this. Uh, I I can't. I hope this doesn't diminish its beauty, but it looks like an acorn with like light mm-hmm. extruding out of it, and it just looks kind of like. It looks like a vessel, but it also looks very natural. Uh, oddly, it reminded me a little bit, a tiny bit of Flight of the Navigator. <laughs> did you Did you also have that in Absolutely. mind? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy you said that. Yeah. Um, there was a kind of a, you know, and I can imagine that the, that the shape can shift and all kinds of things. I mean, you do see it in that one scene, uh, the, the captain's chair, you know, the, I, I guess it's like a raw TARDIS in a way, because if, as we know, you know, or, or the ship from Flight of the Navigator, it can just mold to whatever it needs to be. And that's an extraordinary uh, kind of ability in and of itself. And it's always kind of been um, something that I think lends better to create it you know when you when you imagine um different kinds of life um imagining a, a life form that is a starship it's like mm-hmm. you yeah. know this is one way to look at it is that like it's and data even says you know he's like is the purpose of life uh to care for another you know um and so that's that's gum to or tin man's purpose is to care for its crew and 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 it's just a completely sad story as you said uh learning that the crew died in some kind of disaster and and i can only imagine you know again we don't we don't experience the feelings directly but the set design the the sound design uh, the performances and and whatever um tam album is con- conveying and and his in his emotional uh, you know, expression. We we do totally uh, understand what Tin Man is feeling, and it's just such despair and sadness. Um, it's a it's, and I can only imagine it's just like heartbreaking, and it was heartbreaking uh, to watch to watch uh, to watch it, and and it really does draw you in emotionally as well. Um, you know, you just you just mentioned the sound design. I we cannot go any further without acknowledging. The incredible score, yes. Uh, who and the this composer did like forty two episodes for TNG. His name's Jay Chataway. Um, uh, I don't know his other <laughs> episodes, but uh, but yeah, this episode yeah, was scored like a film. It was. It was really brilliant. The the motifs or light motifs um, for the different characters. Uh, Tin Man. Uh, I think every time they talked about him and his ancientness you heard that pan flute or whatever it was like you know I can't, I was, can't it, was it a, a what do you that australian thing a did 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 you or there might be there, i don't know there were a lot of things going on but i definitely recognize that instrument that zamfir plays you know the little pan oh. the pan flute <laughs> or you just alarm? You just dated yourself there. Did I just, did I alarm you with my Zamfir reference? Uh, <laughs> George uh, Zamfir, <laughs> who wow. I am. Yes, I am you a fan of, of, of 
Yikes. I'm trying to defend the score, man. I'm a child of the 80s. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, of course, I'm yeah, going to yeah. know who George yeah. is. You wearing that Goonies shirt. You truly I are. I know. It's true. It's, true. it's very true. <laughs> Do we want to... Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Do we want to talk about the Romulans at all? <laughs> well... You know, one of the one of the, the one of the incredible things about this episode is just the tension. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are at you know just just grabbing hold of your chair every ten minutes because the frickin' Romulans <laughs> are, are like right on the on their tail, and and uh, you know, I had. You know, I've said many times that I felt that this season was the season that, okay, the Romulans are, are, are going to be the big threat and yeah. we're going to get, and, and this episode feeds into that. I mean, you're just like, holy shit, these Romulans are going to get there. And and they that attack on the Enterprise, wow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It comes out of it nowhere. Really, yeah, it's just like really good scenes, uh, excellent scenes. I mean, just the fact, also building on the Romulan character a little bit. The fact that the first ship was just they burnt their engine core out, just, suicide run. Yeah, just yeah. so that they could get to uh, Tin Man first, and then the Romulans were prepared to destroy Tin Man rather than hand him over to the Federation and all these things. And um, uh, one thing I did come to realize uh, watching Tam's ability in a, in, in a tactical situation is that, okay, so he's obviously an extraordinary example of a Betazoid, right? And we know that Counselor Troy can only really sense uh, emotion and intention, not so much thoughts, right? But there are, are, are there other betazoids serving in starfleet and if so like can you imagine the tactical advantage of having uh you know a telepath on on board your ship and i'm surprised that that we haven't seen that more often because you can i like even i think a a, a, um, a regular level telepath in close proximity in these battles would be able to like convey some of uh some of the enemy's intentions to her captain or his captain and I, I'm wondering why there isn't just more of that in, yeah. in Star Trek. That would be an interesting thing. And, it, you know, or was there a time where this kind of was an advantage that Starfleet used? And maybe that's why uh, Romulans in the original series era wore helmets like Magneto to shield their minds from <laughs> from other telepaths. <laughs> Uh, that's that a, a thought. That was a little too much. I, wow, I, that's I, a thought. <laughs> Damn. Um, that, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. That's interesting. Um, I will say that what you just touched on, I think, is, you know, I, I thought those things when I saw Nemesis. Because I think it's not until Nemesis. Oh, uh, yeah. She that uses you, her ability for tactical advantage. Yeah. Not only that, but of course the Viceroy right. is also... I mean, you realize that these two telepaths are working across vast distances. And, um, you know, I, I think in the first season, 
I made a few comments about Troy and the inconsistency of her abilities, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the, I, or I the uh, or the the continued development of her abilities by the writers, perhaps. I, I think we've sort of, I think they've they, we've sort of settled onto what exactly it is she she's able she's capable of doing. Uh, but of course, Nemesis just kind of like pops that bubble, and you're like, "Wait a minute, she's able to do what?" Okay, that's kind of odd. Um, you know, that could have been handy in many, many previous situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, you know, again, you know, like as you pointed out, you know, Troy is merely an empath and not a telepath. Right, she's half human, um, so she she didn't right. develop her telepathy. Now, the the only thing, right, exactly. Now, the only thing I can think of is that perhaps the Betazoids take, uh, you know, echoing the Deltans and their oath of celibacy. Perhaps the uh, Betazoids take some oath of uh, uh, putting restrictions on their telepathic abilities. Because, I mean, as we saw with Tam, and as we see with with her, with Troy's mom. It can get very <laughs> invasive. Mm-hmm. Uh, this telepathic crap that uh, that the Betazoids can misuse if if they really want to. Right. So, uh, I mean, it could just be something that you know, uh, you know, perhaps that's one of the uh, regulations that are imposed on on Betazoids when when they go and join Starfleet. Is uh, well, you know, if you're going to do this, if you're going to go out into the greater world, you have to follow these rules, and because uh, obviously people don't appreciate having you rummaging through their thoughts. Um, so, and and also, I, I don't think Star Trek has really delved too much into the repercussions of the abilities. Of these telepathic abilities by Betazoids. Um, I mean, like I said, obviously we have Troy, but she's only half, and she's only empathic, and 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 we know that she encounters several issues as the show goes on from time to time. So I can only imagine what a full Betazoid goes through. Yeah. Uh, so I I don't know. It's it's a very good question. When uh, when Tam kind of reaches out and uh, warns uh, Tin Man. And then he, you know, does that Star Trek one, Star Trek the motion picture. It it is the same effect, I think, right? Isn't it like it is the kind it, of it like that V'ger explodes. Of, yeah, the same V'ger explosion thing. Yeah. Um, and so the Enterprise is pretty heavily damaged after that. And I thought I thought one scene that kind of just was a little bit humorous was uh, in if that were on the original Enterprise. Um, Scotty would have said something like, I, you know, <laughs> Captain, uh, it'll take two hours to, to repair the ship, but I'll do it for you in, in 30 minutes. And then Captain Kirk would have been really pleased with that. But Jordy, <laughs> Jordy says, Jordy says it'll take 30 minutes. And then and Picard answers, uh, you have, answers, 10. Uh, you have 10 minutes, right? Which puts a lot of pressure on Jordy. And I'm sure he, you know, like he, he, he figures it out. But it Don't kinda, you love his face? I do. I kind of, I kind of love that moment because now I'm wondering how often this happens. Because later, I do recall very clearly Scotty passing on this trick 
or this knowledge to Jordy uh, in an upcoming episode, which is not till I think next season. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so true. That it's a, true. That was a little moment. The other kind of humorous moment in the episode, which we didn't really touch on, is or I guess we did. Doesn't Desoto say to like have some kind of report with Riker? And yeah. he says, uh, are you getting soft aboard that luxury liner? And so here we are again. Uh, it's kind of interesting that, like, this is not the first time that we, we've seen the Enterprise D referenced as, like, a cushy, comfortable ship. And it's, she's even thought of that way uh, among Starfleet captains, which is interesting, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What is this? You're, uh, you're quite popular there with the subspace. Oh, uh, crap. It's, um, give me one second. Oh, though. okay, sure. <laughs> um, let's see what the I'll do. Oh, uh, we're we're having a moment where uh, the doctor is going to take a phone call. It's uh, <laughs> I'm going to do a play by play here. He's talking to his uh, beautiful sweetheart. That tells me it's almost time to wrap things up, Doctor. Yeah. So um, let's, let's go uh, to the book, and then I have a few notes that I want to. Wanna, want to touch on as as we go well go through the notes as i get to the uh another uh, one thing i noted was uh uh harry groner's performance when he first beams af- aboard the ship we didn't talk about this but you know he's finishing picard's sentence and he's like you know here are your orders blah blah, blah. and then he's truly startled to even find data standing there like he oh just yeah like, he's you know, totally like, surprised he's totally he's like, surprised and i like that little touch uh uh, to to showcase that he he can't read his thoughts and like what a delight and a surprise at the same time that is to him. Oh, and then the other thing I liked was that he acknowledges that Deanna seems to have found her place where she fits in. So it seems like the thing that they related to uh, back when he was her patient might have been that Deanna herself didn't feel like she fit in, and that would be an interesting to. I think that would have been an interesting thing to explore about her character, which, if if I'm not mistaken, we never really go into her youth or her past. But it makes sense because she's half human. Right, right. And, you know, the book just pointed out that uh, this the period of time where, where, she, where she met Tam and, and, and was his psychologist is, of course, the same time where she was with Riker on Betazade. Oh. So perhaps... Perhaps that's that's another layer there. When oh. Riker has this animosity, it's because you know there's probably prior interactions with with, with Tam. Tam. Yeah, she. I so. mean, you could tell that she was very invested in Tam Elberman, and, and that makes wow. That's like, you know. So are are there no is are there no periphery novels based on this or that that go back? That there you are know no of? peripheral novels with Tam. I looked at at Memory Beta. They're, the only peripheral novels that I picked up on were um, with DeSoto and and his uh, his relationships with Picard. Uh, they were lieutenants together at some point. Serving aboard a ship, and uh, obviously uh, DeSoto was Riker's uh, previous commander. Uh, there, so I mean, there's a book called uh, "The Buried Age," which is sort of like remember the Lost Years, the novel "The Lost Years" with Star Trek, the original. Uh, the Buried Age is, is sort of the Lost Years version of for Next Generation, and apparently he shows up there. Um, and then there's a there's interestingly enough there's a novel a DS9 novel called Valhalla, 
where the DS9 crew encounter a sentient ship and O'Brien, whom we see for one scene in this episode, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. O'Brien recalls Tin Man. Which oh. is an interesting bit of in an interesting bit of continuity. Um, That's fascinating. Yes, and uh, and I'll, I'll just finally end it with uh, Desoto. Apparently, is the is the admiral that uh, how do we say it? Uh, debriefs Janeway when she arrives. Oh, he becomes uh, Admiral DeSoto. He becomes an admiral, and he's the one that debriefs her. Uh, this is off camera. This is in a novel. He's the one that debriefs her in uh, in the events following this series, Voyager. So, but no, I didn't find anything on Tam and uh, the this creature, um, Gumtru, doesn't really show up anywhere I else. So, I think uh, I think it would be wonderful. I don't know what it would be about. I can't imagine it at the moment, but I think it'd be wonderful to have a follow-up or a prequel. You know, there were once millions of, of Tin Man. And to even just to discover what happened to all of them, did they did they all journey to some place beyond the the galaxy or the universe itself, you know, or you know, what could have yeah, happened to I, all these all these creatures? I I I actually disagree with you. I, I think Preserve the mystery. This episode is perfect. Uh, <laughs> I'll, and I'll acquiesce I gotta, to that. I gotta give. I gotta give Emma a call. So All I'm right. gonna jump right to it. Well, I give it a ten. I know we already know that you give it a ten, and I give it a ten. And uh, thank you for talking about Bob's this, your uh, uncle, as you say. Yeah. Uh, Bob's your <laughs> uncle. Hey, this is a great. Uh, I had a great time talking about this. So obviously, uh, there's a lot more we could talk about, but. You know, we don't. We could go on for hours and hours, but we won't. <laughs> we eight hours, I believe you we, said. Yeah, it's like Google Hangouts. You can do them for eight hours straight. But we'd love to. Th this was such a great episode. We'd love to hear from you, um, our audience, and uh, and we look forward to hearing from you. So feel free if you're watching it on the YouTube to comment below or uh, write us an email at starfleetboy at gmail. Dot com, or you could write us through Twitter or Instagram. It's all Starfleet Boys. Or you can just go to StarfleetBoy.com. Oh, and uh, a new a new thing real quick, Doctor. Uh, sign up for our newsletter. You can find it on the About page. And Doctor, if you haven't checked what? it out, yeah, if you haven't checked it out, look on the About page because you're there. <laughs> what? Yeah, so go check it out. What? And on that note, live long and prosper. Peace in our time, and I'll see you next time. Oh.